0: Well, good morning. My name is Dan Underhill. We are in a series called Bacon. Everybody nice and loud, guttural, from the bowels, right here, deep, say, Bacon. I don't know who that is, but ushers, find out he's a new youth leader. He's ready to go. He is serious and for real. We're in a series called Bacon, and Pastor Mac has done a phenomenal job of taking something that could appear to be superficial and plain and show how deeply spiritual the content behind it can be. He started talking about these verses, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." How many of you guys have enjoyed the series so far? It's been great. It's been great. "Taste and see that the Lord is good." And he took the sweetness of bacon and the salty and said there are a beautiful marriage of the two. One complements the other. Now, Clearly, Macrochard is sweet. I am a little salty. Okay, so I'm going to be talking to you today a little bit about salty and the saltiness of God because we know about his sweetness and his grace and his mercy and his unending love. But he is also a God of justice. He's also a God of righteousness. He is a God who is the only God source of truth. And it's not one or the other. In fact, I want to bring you back to a verse that Pastor Max shared last week in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So it's not either or. In fact, it's both. And the fact of the matter is, truth can be a little salty sometimes, can't it? Like when you have to tell someone the hard truth, it's not something that they're like, mmm, so sweet, yay, thank you for helping me. Sometimes they're like, hmm, it's got a little bite to it. But God is telling us here in John that it's imperative that we don't just choose one or the other. It's grace and truth. We enjoy the sweetness of God, but also the saltiness of God, because he is God, the creator of the universe. And it's very difficult for us as humans because we are sometimes, uh, what do they call it? Uh, What's the term? Control freaks? How many controlling people we got in the house? Okay. How many of you just lied because you didn't want people to know? You're like, not me. I'm good with whatever. How long is this going to take? Oh, you see what I did there? I'm one of those control people, okay? It doesn't hurt my size because it makes controlling things a lot easier when you're this size, okay? They're like, look, it's Shrek without the green paint, yay! Right? And so you can just look at people and go, I'm going to go ahead and just take this and move this. They're like, yes, sir, absolutely. Now, see, in New York, it wasn't that way. Like, everyone in New York, you know, they, they are seven foot tall of attitude constantly. So I came here to Texas, and everyone's all of a sudden like, yes, sir. And I'm like, who's calling me sir? All right. I like this place, Texas. We like control, don't we? We love control. When we really peel back the layers and the levels, we have very little control, don't we? I would love to tell you that I'm in full control of my body today, and your prayer should be that I maintain control of my body today. But if God removes his grace, and God removes his ordained will from my life, those chemicals in my brain, the way that they're leveled and the way that they work with each other in beautiful rhythm and sequence, if he removes that for a moment, I don't have control. So it brings me back to the foundation of he is in control. And I appreciate everything that he's done for me. But I have to be willing to taste that and go, I'm not really in control, am I? I'm going to do my best to make a plan, which is good, it's smart, it's right. It's called responsible. But ultimately, I know that the plan is what God has for me. And so as we look at Salty, I want to, I want to give you a little glimpse into what kind of got us there. Pastor Mac was looking at some of these verses, and he goes, Dan, do you realize that in the Old Testament, before they made an offering to God, they had to put salt on it. So let me give you a little bit of background. You see, Jesus has done a great job for us in being the ultimate sacrifice, and we don't have to do this anymore. But in biblical times, there was a tabernacle where you would have to bring your offering to the Lord, because there was a gap between you and God. It was called sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Appreciate you eating the apple, but you kind of messed everything up for us. Okay, but as that happened, there was a chasm created between us and God. And as that chasm was created, God said, I have to get back to my people because I want to dwell among them. These are my people. And as God did that, he understood that sin that Adam and Eve brought into the picture represents death. And every time that there's sin, it equals death. It kills everything in our lives. And in biblical order, God made an animal sacrifice to cover their sin by clothing them. And God created a sacrificial system. And they would have to bring these sacrifices to the tabernacle and offer them to God. And at Leviticus, also in Exodus, and in Ezekiel, a few other places, it shows us that you had to salt the offering before you offered it. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want to walk through a a few things with you. Because at that moment, it was very difficult to connect with God. But because of what Jesus did in the New Testament, it becomes easy for you and I to connect with God. In fact, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, you are the salt of the earth now. So no longer is that salt sacrifice necessary on the altar. God says, you're the salt the salt of the earth, in Matthew 5. You're the light of the world. Let your good deeds be shown among men that they may honor God your Father. So now that salt has made an interesting transition. And now we are supposed to be salty. Look at your neighbor and be like, you're a little salty. Okay, that was horrible. Like, look, I love you. I even gave you voice inflection, okay? I'm kind of a big guy. I don't tell you. Like, oh, hey. That's not my deal, all right? But ready? Ready? Look at the person next to you and go, you're a little salty. This is what it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to view, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing, perfect will. Number one, we are to be living sacrifices. Romans 12 tells us that. We can't just conform to the patterns that are around us, but we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because we are to be a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? How are we living sacrifices? How we work is a sacrifice unto God. How we spend our money is a sacrifice to God. How we parent should be a sacrifice to God. How we vote should be a sacrifice to God. How we play sports and raise kids. As you take a look at those areas, that may be an epiphany for you. That may be something new to look at and go, am I parenting just kind of the way everyone around me is parenting? Am I spending my money the way that everybody else just spends their money? Am I raising my children Am I working as if it's a living sacrifice to my God? Because according to Romans chapter 12, that's what we're doing. We are now, Matthew five, we are the salt of the earth. And we should be letting our good works shine before men. Not because we're amazing, but because God has called us and saved us and put us on a different path. And that means we are all living sacrifices. You see, the problem with the living sacrifice is this. Living sacrifices tend to crawl off the altar, don't they? Right? Okay, I'm going to have to just warm you up a little bit here. Everybody loosen up. Everybody loosen up. There you go. Okay, everybody loosen up. Everybody loosen up. There we go. Back to that control thing. If someone laid you on an altar and was going to sacrifice you, would you lay there or crawl off? Would have been great the first time. But I am patient with you. You see, we crawl off the altar, don't we? We have a tendency and we have a propensity for us to want to crawl off the altar and say, no, 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 I'm going to go out here for a little while and do this like this. I'm going to control like this. You know what? How many of you guys are parents in the room? Can I see a show of hands? If you're a parent. Okay, one of the times you might uh, crawl off the altar, okay, of being a living sacrifice unto God, good and pleasing, so men can see your good works, is when your kids lose their mind. And you're not like, oh, what would the Lord have me do with you? Let's just pray. This will be fantastic, everybody. If you're anything like me, it's usually like, are you serious? That's what you just thought was a good idea? So you had brain synapse firing considering this to be the option to smack your brother with that at the dinner table. And now I have to kill you here as a living sacrifice. (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't know, I have four children, two girls, two boys. If you see any one of my four children, they all look the same. They do. In fact, one of the members of our church, at one point, I came walking into church with both of my sons, and she looked at me, she goes, hold on, there's two? And I'm like, yes, I've used that against them. I said, you realize, if I kill you, no one will know. There's one just like you behind you. He's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and looks just like you. So you're going to want to straighten up, Buck. Buck. But those are the moments that we have to, you know, we have to control and we have to go back to God. And we have to say, God, ah, I crawled off the altar again. I've got to get back to what is most important. And that is being a living sacrifice. Because if you're a parent, you know it's a sacrifice. It costs you. But there's no greater reward than to look at those little blue eyes, blonde haired boys, my little blue-eyed, brown-haired girls. We get wrestling, we get with each other, having fun, laughing, getting loud in our homes. The sacrifice is worth it. And so is your sacrifice to God and your worship, the way you work, the way you spend your money, raise children, interact in a community. It is so worth it. Number two, each one of us both need and crave salt. Not only physiologically do we crave salt, and we need it to live. In fact, if you have salt deficiencies, it can really go bad for you. But we crave it spiritually. And sometimes we're not aware of what that craving is until you engage in something different. So let me set that up for you. How many people love some ice cream up in the house? Oh man, You guys, see, you guys are not fair. You guys have Bluebell down here, okay? New York, we don't. Okay, we have something other sludge that's put together that someone says, hey, here's ice cream. You're like, okay, I'll eat it. But here, Bluebell is amazing. But you know what's amazing? I love ice cream. I know, hard to believe. Look like a vegetarian, right? Yeah. No, I love ice cream and meat. So, I love to have a nice bowl of ice cream. And after I have that bowl of ice cream, you know what I crave? Salt. Because as I'm putting the bowl away, conveniently located to the left is the pantry where the chips are. I'm like, Lord, it's in divine order. You've placed it here for me. It's a burning bush. And I crave it. We naturally crave salt, but we also spiritually crave salt, too. Let me explain to you what what I mean by that. When you talk with someone, do you want them to waste your time? Or do you want them to give you something that is of a substance? Do you want them to spend time communicating with you, and you can walk away feeling recharged or refreshed or encouraged? Because we all know we have those people that drain us of our salt when they're talking. They're like, if you could just hurry up, it would be great. This is killing me. We have, that happens. That's natural, it's normal. But I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person when people walk away from me, they know that they were with someone who knew God. They were with somebody who had salt in their speech. They had a little bit of flavor that they can walk away and be inspired encouraged. The truth was told. And in Colossians 4, 6, this is what it says. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, at our deepest level, we crave a salty conversation, a conversation that's going to tell us the truth in love, but we don't want someone to lie to us. All you have to do is watch a debate for two minutes, and we have people that are paid to fact check because people lie. None of us want to hear that, and we live in an age where people say this all the time. Well, For me, I, and we've lost truth. And there is a truth. It's Jesus Christ. Died, buried, rose again, fact-checked, and proven. Many times better than the evidence of you sitting in this room because there are more witnesses to it. There are more eyewitnesses and accounts that can fact-check his burial, his death, and his resurrection. He is the source of all truth. He is all truth, and he holds all truth, and he has all truth in his word. The question is, are we engaging with that truth, or are we selling for the lie that the world will give us? Say, well, for me, I feel like, because we're afraid to tell the truth and stand in there, You know, my pastor has an amazing statement. I remember when I first got here, I heard him say it, and I was like, that is so simple, but my God, that is good. Do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. And we've lost some of that salt as a community. Hey, I'm going to do the right thing, and I don't care what anybody thinks. We need moms and dads that are willing to stand in there and do the right thing with their children and not care what anybody thinks. And when you feel the pressure of your community, community on you, you remember Romans 12 and say, look, I'm not uh, transformed by the patterns of this world. I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm a living sacrifice unto God. So I understand you may want this, son. You may think you need this, but I know what you need. And it's not what you want. And we have parents that are willing to stand in the gap and say, regardless of the effects, regardless of the opinions of other people, I will stand and I will choose to serve the Lord. You see, we're living in a more and more shifty culture where I can tell you, as for me, this is my truth, and this, this is your truth. And the problem with that is it's up to our opinions and our feelings instead of the facts And the immutable word of God. And as soon as we remove absolute truth, we live in chaos. And I want to encourage you today. God has truth for you. And it is amazing. It is outstanding. And it's in the way you talk. But the Bible tells us what's in your mouth is what was in your heart. So it's imperative that we take a look at what's in our heart and say, what's inside of my heart? What am I putting into my heart every day that's gonna lead me to have what Colossians said, a seasoned conversation that can inspire others and lead them to him instead of lead them to me. You see, as I diagnosed some of my conversations, I noticed Just this weekend, as I was going to a wedding, some people were asking me. They said, hey, was the drive okay? And I was like, yeah. And I told them, well, I didn't come this way. I came another way. And I was like, why am I telling them that I came this way? Because I want to turn the conversation about what I had to go through to get here. So instead of turning the conversation to them, I turned the conversation to me. And it is so powerful when you can recognize that and say, let me engage in a conversation that's about you. How can I help you? What can I do to help? Asking questions instead of just making statements. You know, there's a lot of research out right now that talks about a child has lost his ability to question in our world. Before, they would be like, why, 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 why? why? How many of you have kids and you've heard the why question? Am I right? Oh, my gosh, why? But we get frustrated and we're annoyed and we don't want to take the time because we probably haven't properly prioritized, okay? And then we don't want to answer the why question anymore and we're just frustrated. And so what we do is we teach them to stop asking questions. And we teach them to stop asking questions why do we wonder when they're in conversation as adults or high schoolers or college students, they're not asking anymore. They're telling, 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 telling. And the Bible tells us, you reap what you sow. We may have trained them to do so. But the good news is, God has all of the answers. God has all of the truth put together, and each one of us are craving that salt. You know, I ran across a quote that speaks directly to this, and it, was, it hit me so powerfully when I read it. It's not a new quote. It's old, and many of you have probably already heard it. But it shook me to my core to say, you know, I can get complacent. I can get comfortable. In fact, most of the world I live in caters to my comfort. But as it does cater to my comfort, I become way too comfortable and I stop acting. And check this out. This is what it says. Edmund Burke said this. He goes, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is good men to do nothing. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I have a question for you. What are you going to do? Because I believe that quote to be true. I believe that if we don't stand up and do something, there is no way that we can sit here in awe and in wonder and in shock and talk around tables about, can you believe how bad it is? First of all, let's not talk that into existence. But second, what are we going to do about it? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let me explain to you. I'm not okay with people thinking that the youth is an entitled generation. But I can also look at you and show you my blood, my sweat, my tears, my time, my prayer, my gas, my expenses of investing in them. And I'll tell you right now, these guys, give it up for them because they're great. Give it up for them because they are great. These kids are here early. These kids are staying late. They're being trained. They're up front. They're leading the way. They're getting trained how to change their community. Why? Because you have to do something. Because all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. And not on my watch. Not on my watch. You see... Before you move and decide what you're going to do, you have to count the cost. You have to consider the cost because sacrifice will cost you. You see, go back to that animal sacrifice I was talking about earlier. I told you we'd get back to it. That sacrifice costs them something. In biblical times, if you had a bull or you had a cow or you had a goat or a sheep, These were some of the common sacrifices. Hold on. If I've got a cow, I've got milk. If I've got milk, I've got cheese. If I've got a bull, I can have more cows. That's for later. That's another sermon. But if I've got sheep, then I can have wool. And if I have wool, then I can make clothing, and I can make cloth, and I can keep myself warm. And if I have these animals, and I know that God made a covenant with me, and I am against Being a vegetarian, clearly, not emotionally or politically, just in evidence. Then that would feed my family. And it says to take your bull, ram, sheep, ox, and sacrifice it. You realize that that could feed a family for a long time. And in biblical times, they didn't have H E B. It wasn't like you just go buy more. You had to go work. You had to walk everywhere you wanted to get. You had to walk there. And if I've sacrificed this bull, if I sacrifice this animal, what does my family lose out on? You see, it talks to ownership, doesn't it? Because we get confused in thinking that we provide for ourselves, don't we? I worked hard for this, so I deserve. Uh uh-uh. uh. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, you know, it is he who gives us the power to create wealth. And it dealt with provision. It dealt with lordship. It dealt with a sacrifice to bring this bowl. But then on top of it, God said, throw salt on it. Wait a minute. You want me to take what could provide for my family, trust you to provide for me, and on top of it, you want me to be extravagant You want me to throw a rare mineral? You want me to take something that is precious and very expensive in biblical times? And you want me to throw it on top of it just to be burned up to you? Why would God ask us to do that? Because he did it. And he was ready to do it for us with his son. By putting his son on the altar. You see, The salt was extravagance. He put his son on the altar for us on a hill called Calvary. He hung him on a tree so he could give back with you and me. And salt made its way back to the final sacrifice. Because as Jesus carried that cross and he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, It says he sweat with great drops of blood. And as he lay on that tree, sweating in Jerusalem's sun, the most precious thing he had was salting the final offering so he could reconnect with you. We have to consider the cost. When you give up everything you have, you get everything he has. And it's worth it. It is so much more, but you have to consider the cost. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like to give you a minute to consider the cost. What is it for you It might be something in the way you're raising children, spending money, playing sports, living in your community. It might even be relationships. Is there something that you need to sacrifice? Because God is prompting you to it and calling you to it. Or maybe it's not something that you have to stop doing, but maybe it's something you have to start doing that would cost you a lot, but you know in this moment that God is calling you to sacrifice.
1: this morning let's sing together
0: standing with me and in a moment of prayer with your heads bowed, would you consider the ultimate sacrifice and possibly you're here today to say I have never accepted that free gift of salvation or maybe you've never heard it before but today you heard it and it was fresh or maybe you've heard it hundred times and God's talking to your heart about stepping over the line of salvation drawing a line with your faith and saying as for me and my house I will serve the Lord you see God did extravagantly bless you with a sacrifice it was his son Jesus Christ on the cross and it's your choice, no one can force you, but man, we'd love to encourage you that in this moment, you accept that free gift of salvation. So with your heads bowed, and in this moment, if that's you, it's as simple as a quiet prayer to yourself. Not out loud, just saying, God, I I hear you calling. I hear you drawing me toward you and I'm going to make the first sacrifice and step over the line of faith in response to you initiating it with your son. And if you just did that, you just made the greatest decision of your life. No one can take that away from you. No one. That's between you and the Lord. But we ask that you might mark that decision. And then you mark it by just raising your hand and saying, that was me, I made that decision today. So if that was you and you made that decision, would you help us by marking that decision, by just putting your hands straight over your head and say, that's me, I made that decision today. And we have a tradition here at Lake Hills Church that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and say, welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home, welcome home.